Hello, my little brownies. I'm back here to talk to you about performance and poetry on the Fig Widow podcast. It's me again, Danny Janae. Um, if you can't tell, I have switched the podcast medium to um, once every other week instead of once a week, just so I can have more time for myself to record things and do things as I need them to be done and you know schedule things with guests and stuff like that. So this is hopefully temporary until things in my life slow down a little bit, but right now it just needs to be once every other week. Thank you for your patience with that. Sorry, it's been kind of a slow thing. Um, but yeah, I want to talk to you about what I'm reading, what I'm writing, um, and about performing as an artist. But first, let's talk about the books on my docket right now. So right now I am listening to um, this book that I saw the movie of first. Um, and the movie was disturbing. Um, and after I finished uh, the Otessa Moshfig book and uh, Zosha Stage, Baby Teeth, um, I got started getting recommended a lot of books like this, or these like fiction, fictionalized accounts of like complicated relationships between uh, usually moms and their kids. So this book got recommended to me. It's called We Need to Talk About Kevin. And the movie stars Tilda Swinton, which is part of the reason why I watched it because uh, Tilda, she is our queen to be if you know what I mean. Um, she's just a, a wonderful actress and I love watching her. So I um, have been listening to this book on audiobook. It's really long, but it's like enrapturing. You know what I mean? Like I start listening to it and I forget that I have music, that I have other audiobooks, that I have like books to read. And I just want to like dive deep into it. Um, yeah, so it's about a kid named Kevin who um, basically, spoiler alert, um, does like a school shooting, but he does it with a bow and arrow, arrow, not error, arrow. Um, and the book is written from the perspective of his mother who is writing um, letters to Kevin's father who is her now like um, hus her husband that she's been separated from. I forget what that's called, but yeah. So they're separated and she's writing letters to him. As far as I can tell, he is not writing letters back. It's about, you know, his mom grappling with the way that she raised him and the child that he was, appears to be like the child that he always was growing up and that he was always difficult and that the dad, as is very typical, and stories like these just has, cannot believe that their child has anything wrong with them and is aloof and turns a blind eye and will like be gullible and believe anything. Um, yeah, so book is about that. I am really enjoying it so far, even though, again, I have, you know, a narrator who is unreliable because she's like, a lot of the awful things that she says he has done, she has been the only one around for them. Um, so it's like, can you trust her depiction of her son 
or is she conflating things or like blowing things out of proportion to make sense of the violence and not to take, um, maybe take responsibility for her role in things. Uh, yeah, so it's a really good book. The narrator is highly, as we might say nowadays, problematic. She says a lot of really racist and fat phobic things often, um, but considers herself a very liberal woman of the world, which is how I think a lot of white women think of themselves and it's make, it makes me laugh. Um, yeah, so I've been listening to that. Also been listening to Red at the Bone, um, which I think I talked about last time. Um, I'm almost done with it. Uh, it's really good. It appears to center around this one night, this one party, this one interaction. Um, but yeah, it's about a family who, uh, the mother, what's the mother's name? I forget. The mom is, um, she had her daughter Melody at like 15 or 16 years old. And so Melody has become this teenager that is um, grappling with her relationship with her mom, especially, and her dad, um, and herself becoming, you know, uh, an older teen, you know, becoming a woman, trying to figure out herself and her body and her desires and things like that. Um, and how these two families have come together for, you know, this child and formed her life to be what it is. Um, and it seems that the, the two families are vastly very different um, in the conflicts that arise from that. Um, from what I can tell, one of the families is very like light-skinned and one is not, um, one is wealthy and one is not. Um, so that creates a lot of conflict in the text from what I've seen so far. Um, yeah, there's a lot about class and status in it that I think is really interesting. So I'm enjoying it right now. Almost done, I will let you know how it is when I'm completely finished. And then I'm reading, uh, I chewed so much gum today and now my jaw is like hurting, which is, uh, you know, pain of my own doing. I did this to myself. I get really anxious or like angry sometimes at work and I need to like chew gum to diffuse that tension. Um, but it creates a lot of tension in my jaw apparently. So yeah, but I've been reading still uh, in Unquiet Mind um, working my way through that. I'm still in her like early to mid teens years. So I haven't gotten too far into it, but I'm still working on it. Um, I'm going to try and read some of that tonight. I'm also reading, uh, I'm sorry, I would have this book in my hands, Space Struck by Paige Lewis, um, which I'm going to read some poems to you from. Uh, yeah. So I've been reading these poems. I love them. Her voice is so like quizzical um, and explorative. Ooh, there's this weird like press pressing on the inside of the book um, that just feels good on my hands. I really like it. Um, if you can support, you know, your small bookstores, go to your local bookstore and buy your books. If you can't do that, then I recommend shopping directly from 
the press that publishes the book. So whoever made the book, try and buy from them directly. There's a new thing now. I'm going to try and look it up right now. Um, I think it's called bookshop.org, I believe. Yes, bookshop.org, which is a new way to buy books online from bookstores. Um, so I guess there's some delivery aspect to that too. Um, but it's really cool. And it's a way to support your local bookstore without having to leave the comfort of your own home. So yeah, that's what I'm reading, what I'm getting into. I'm going to take a little break and be back with some poems for you. This first poem that I'm going to read just feels timely. Um, it feels on topic. So I'll be reading from Space Struck by Paige Lewis. The first poem is called, You Be You and I'll Be Busy. Chewing five sticks of juicy fruit, turning my jaw into clicking, pain pricked mess and reaching for another path because hard work is defined by a body's wreckage. And I want you to know I'm hard at work, writing my presidential acceptance speech. A dartboard in every garage, a prism sentence for, for anyone caught explaining magic. You be me, and I'll be the man leaning against your fence expecting compliments on my new haircut. Now, be you, and take this personality quiz. Do you scrape your fork against your teeth? Results are in. You're the kind of person who has to stop doing that. You be you, and I'll be racing across the yard, trying to catch Robbins to prove how tender I am with tender things. I'll be Glenn Gould, hunched and humming at your piano until it suddenly springs a leak. The notes too full to hold themselves together. I'll be me again when I open the windows to keep our apartment from flooding. Don't be the woman on the sidewalk below, drenched and furious. Instead, take a turn as Gould, an older Gould, wear gloves indoors. Tell me you can't have lovers for fear of harming your elegant hands. Clamber about the bed, being the man who always almost touches me. Then become the man who does. Mm. That little part about scraping a fork against your teeth and becoming a person that doesn't do that really got to me. I had to stifle a laugh. I, I really like this poem. This is the first time that I've actually read it. I read the first two lines and was like, aha, I should read that because it feels apt for me right now. And I really enjoyed it. It's it was fun to read. It was that's the thing that I like about this poet is that reading her work is fun. It kind of reminds me of with Mary Rufo, where like sometimes there are those sentences that are just pleasing to the tongue. Um, in the way that you can add pauses or things like that to make a poem flow in a certain way. This poem her poems really, or their poems, really lend themselves to that practice of like switching things up and like pausing here and then not doing it there 
and then flipping it the next time you read it, um, it just is, is really fun. So this next one I'm gonna read is called Cicadic Mag Masking. So cicadic masking is a phenomenon where the brain blocks or outblurred images created by movement of the eye. All constellations are organisms and all organisms are divine and unfixed. I am spending my night in the kitchen. There is blood in the batter. Dark strands stretch like vocal cords telling me I am missing so much with these blurred visions. A syringe flick, the tremor of my wrist, raised veins, silked green. I have seen the wings of a purple finch wavering around its body, stuck, burned to the grill of my car, which means I have failed to notice its flight, a lesson on infinities, a lesson I am trying to learn. I am trying, tell me, how do I steady my gaze when everything I want is motion? Mm. Okay. This next one I'm going to read is called Because the Color is Half the Taste. It's a shame to eat blackberries in the dark. But that's exactly what I'm up to when a man startles down the street screaming. The fourth dimension is not time. He makes me feel stupid and it's hard to sleep knowing so little about everything. So I enroll in a night class where I learn the universe is an arrow without end and it asks only one question. How dare you? I recite it in bed. How dare you? How dare you? But still I can't find sleep. So I go out where winter is and roll around in the snow until the sharp rock meets the vulnerable plush of my belly. A little blood. Hunched over, I must look like I'm hiding something I don't want to share. And I suppose that's true. The sharp, the warm wet, the color is half the pain. Why would anyone else want to see? How dare they? Mm. My title, just because the color is half the taste, my God. See, this is why I love poetry so much. Because we get those little pleasures like that. It is being obsessed with a with the title, being drawn in by a title, and then being surprised by its contents. Okay. This last one I'm gonna do is called God Stops By. Just cause I've been thinking a lot about God and gods as they appear in poetry. So I want to read this. God stops by to show me how healthy he is. He's sleeping more. He built his own gym, mostly muscle now. He gives me the fat off his steak. I eat because he offers not because I need. It's hard to feel hungry when everything in this world tastes small and wrong. Like rubber grapes or sun-boiled eggs. When I was small, I was certain that I 
what was holy was mine. I caught moths in the garden, pressed their wings between my thickest book and waited for new moths to sprout up and out of the pages. I asked God if he considers me a cracked seed of grace. He says, yes, dear, I understand. It would be exhausting to lead a life with careful consideration for all things, stepping over anthills, saving lizards from pools. I mean, if I was God enough to be idolized, every statue would be a golden depiction of me riding a grooves-drawn chariot, absentmindedly resting my shepherd's scythe and an inch from their curved white throats. Before God leaves, he clears the table, pats my head and presses two messages into my palms. In my left, you are the bridge. In my right, you are the dust. And that's for Paige Lewis this time. Um, I'll probably read more poems by them next week as well, or the week after next week as well, uh, just cause I'm slowing down my book purchasing right now. So this is probably the last book I'll buy for a little bit and then pick it back up when I'm ready. Um, but yeah, uh, so on top of a bop for this week, my goodness, I'm really obsessed with this song. The song is like, it might've been one of my top songs played in 2019. Um, I'm sure it probably was cause I played it a lot but I've been listening to it a lot again recently and it it just is so good. And I think this artist is like super young, but it's, this song is like, the lyrics are so pretty and the drums in it are fantastic. Um, the vocals are like smooth and sort of low, but you can tell there's power behind them uh, so the song is called George, and it's by Arlo Parks. It um, You can listen on Spotify or Apple Music, wherever. Arlo Parks is 19 years old, and it's from London. Like I said, very young. Um, I think the project that I'm listening to the songs off of came out a little while ago. It came out in 2018, so that was probably when they were like, 17 years old. My goodness. What a talent. Um, but yeah, I'm obsessed with that song right now. I can't wait to listen to it more and more as the day goes on. I'll probably listen to it as I go to bed tonight just because it's it's a song that you can like do a little slow dance to, but also just like chill and vibe out to. Um, and I really like that about it. So that's my untoppable bop for the week. Uh, when I come back, I'll talk to you about uh, performing. All right. So I wanted to talk today about performing poetry and why I think that um, it's really important to read your poetry aloud in front of an audience, in front of a room of people, whether that's a room of friends or a room of strangers. Um, so I think that poetry just fundamentally is a medium that is made to be read aloud. Um, 
And that comes from, it's very oral tradition, you know, about bards and people that would go around performing poetry just aloud without having it on the page to be read. Um, yeah, it's just like, because of rhythm and um, what's that called? Like iambic pentameter, what is that? Meter, meter, meter and things like that in poetry. Um, it's a medium that lends itself to be performed. Um, I myself have like done fiction and nonfiction readings. And while that is fun and really cool, I feel like poetry performs much better as evidenced by um, slam poetry, spoken word poetry, things like that, where you can really throw your body and voice and um, your performance into a poem in a way that I think that maybe you can do it with like a nonfiction, but I've never seen it done. I think the poetry itself is just like made for that sort of medium. Um, yeah, I uh, started performing my poetry when I was like a sophomore in college. Um, I went to Allegheny College in Meadville, Pennsylvania. Shout out to Meadville, shout out to Allegheny. Um, and I had been writing poetry since I started there. So I was um, a freshman and I ended up taking classes for like sophomores and juniors um, because I'm sneaky like that. And I like to bend the rules for myself, for my own gain. Um, so I took this class, entered a poetry, got in, and was just in love. And I'd always been in love with poetry, but like that was the first time that I was able to like perform poems aloud in front of uh, classmates to read them aloud in front of people. Um, I had done that before uh, once, and that was a long time ago. So the first time that I ever performed a poem in front of other people was probably kindergarten, first grade. And it was a poem that I wrote about my grandma and my doll named Sally that I used to have. Um, I don't know where Sally is. I lost her somewhere. I think I might've brought her to like college with me. I lost her somewhere there. Um, but yeah, I had this doll Sally and she had like big blue eyes. She was like a rag doll. So she had these like big blue stitched eyes and blonde yarn hair. Um, and this really pretty little floral dress on with a matching hat. She was just styling. I was obsessed with her. I got her as a gift from my grandma. Um, and not long after that, my grandma got really sick. Um, and I remember thinking like, well, if something happens to my grandma, at least I have Sally who is tied to her in some way. I understood that at a young age of like, somehow Sally and my grandma were tied to each other and I could uh, feel connected to my grandma through Sally. Um, so I wrote this poem about it and basically like about how my grandma's spirit would be in my doll, um, which is in hindsight kind of creepy, <laughs> but I thought it was very moving. And so did the audience apparently, cause I got lots of claps. So that was the first poem I ever performed out loud in front of others. Um, and I definitely got a rush. It was like, 
I couldn't look at anybody in the crowd. I just like stared at my paper and read it in front of the mic and then basically ran off stage after and just like heard the applause after I had gotten off and sort of like smiled to myself as I heard that um, and wanted it again, but I was just too, I lived too much in myself to do that again at that age and many other ages after. So then I fast forwarded to college. Um, I did my first reading in college at this place called GFC, which was a coffee shop on our campus. Um, we didn't have like Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or anything like that that other college campuses had. We just had our like dining hall coffee and then GFC, which is where we got like nice fair trade, um, sometimes organic coffee and you would go and see your friends and all the English majors being brooding and depressed and reading poetry and playing board games together in that little space. Um, yeah, so I performed the poem there. I can't remember what the poem was about. Um, that was around the first time that I got a poem published as well. Um, and it was published in our school's like independent student run uh, poetry publication, um, which I forget, what was it called? I think it was called Overkill. Yes, it was called Overkill. Um, and that poem was called The Second Coming. And it was about being gay and being with a woman and feeling this weird tension about religion and God and basically um, comparing being with a woman to a religious experience, um, i.e. the second coming of Jesus. Because uh, I was that fucking gay as a college student. Um, yeah, so... I don't think I performed that poem. I performed something else that I'd been working on in one of my workshops. And it's just been sort of history since then. Um, I moved back to Pittsburgh after college, sort of reluctantly, actually very reluctantly. I did not want to come back here um, and started writing a lot with my my boys. Oh my God. Um, so my friend, my friends Kaylin Deal and I started this thing that we call the Poet Data Team. Um, and we started it because we were like all doing our senior like compositions together at the same time. And we would also just like write poems a lot together and talk about poetry together. Um, and one day where we were sitting in GFC and there was a thing of bananagrams in front of us. And we were just like fucking around, like trying to spell out words. And the phrase we comment, we came out with was poet data team, which doesn't really mean anything, but it was just like what we could make with the letters we had. Um, and now it means a lot to all of us. I think today apparently was the seven year anniversary of our coming up with poet data team. So it lives on forever in our minds and in our hearts. Um, and in the history of Facebook. So shout out to those guys. Love you guys to death. Anyway, um, just getting real reminiscent over here. Uh, yeah. Um, poet data team formed and we would um, share our poetry with each other and help each other uh, to 
like workshop and revise even after we graduated from college. So when I moved back to Pittsburgh after college, I would still meet up with them occasionally um, and work out poems with them. And then I started to do uh, open mic open mic nights in the city. Um, and that's sort of the realm you gotta go with if you wanna get started in poetry reading in front of a crowd. Um, it's just like, you gotta pay your dues. Uh, so I go to open mics at like pizza shops or at coffee shops um, and just read a poem here or there. Try not to stutter through it. I had at one time, I still kind of have a bad stutter. Um, and not like a, a very pronounced one, but one where I just like stumbled over my words so much and like couldn't talk in front of people at all. Um, couldn't look people in the eye, stuff like that. Um, and so talking in front of a crowd was like my worst, worst, worst nightmare. Um, but I would do these open mics, um, share some poems that I read and um, well that I written and I was reading a lot in front of the people. Um, and then I started uh, doing other readings on a like a larger scale. Um, so the first really like big event that I got booked for um, was my friend, uh, Princess Jafar, did this thing called the Princess Jafar Show. Um, Princess Jafar and Friends is what it was called. Um, and Princess Jafar is this, like persona of like this Arab princess who's like a total snob and like rich and aloof and cunning. Um, so it was me and I think another poet, um, dancers, uh, musicians, and we came together at this like occult shop and did the first Princess Jafar and Friends show. Um, and it was like really awesome. I had on this wild outfit that I still remember to this day. I looked so hot in it. Um, and I read some poems about um, my mom and some other random stuff that I had been going through. Probably read a love poem to my girlfriend at the time because that's how corny I can be at times. Um, but yeah, I um, got booked for that show and did a bunch of other different Princess of Our Friends show after that. Um, and people started to really take notice. Uh, I think during my readings, I sort of struck a balance between being a poet who is very serious and like, mm, I'm here to read some poetry. And then being this like flirty, sometimes sexy, funny person that's trying to draw you into the poems by being that personality. Um, and it works. It um, Like when I do have readings, people come to see me sometimes. I've had people, you know, hug me after readings, uh, stuff like that. It can be very emotional to do these things. So if you're thinking about doing it, maybe that's something that to prepare for, which I'll talk about later. Um, yeah, it just has been really awesome since. And I get to invited to do readings. I get invited to do shows. I get invited to do workshops with people now, um, which I love doing workshops with others. It's so much fun. Uh, speaking of which, I just remember that I have a workshop coming up 
And now that it's February, it's like closer than I ever thought it was. Um, so that's kind of scary. But anyway, let me not freak myself out. Um, yeah, so I get to do all these really cool things now because I started as just somebody that had a love for poetry and wanted to share it with other people. Um, and now I get like paid to do that. And that's really cool. Um, so I'm going to take a little break, give my jaw rest and come back and talk to you about the pros and cons of performance poetry. So a pro of getting out there, sharing your work with other people is that you get to connect with strangers, with people that you know on such a deep level, um, probably on a deeper level than mostly you would on like a regular interaction basis. Uh, for me personally, my poems are very personal. Some I call it confessional. Um, I talk about things that are very close and dear and sometimes challenging and hurtful and tra traumatizing. Um, so when I read poems about those things, people sometimes are very moved by them and want to connect with me and talk to me about the events in those poems, um, which can be really affirming and really lovely. It also be exceptionally overwhelming, um, which is a con of like people opening up to you um, in ways that maybe you're not ready for. Uh, so that's something to take into mind when you are thinking about, you know, performing, especially what you perform and where you perform it. Um, another really great thing is that um, you get to hone your craft. Uh, so if you are a poet, I think it's so, so, so important to read your work out loud. Um, from an editing standpoint, from a revision standpoint, but just also so you know how you, how you sound when you're saying what you're saying. Um, and somehow like speaking the words out loud allows you to make connections between things that maybe you weren't while you were writing it or when you're revising it on the page. Um, it's like you speak connections into existence or something like that. And it's really cool. Um, I love uh, using the voice recorder app on my phone to record myself reading poems that I've written. Um, and I play them over and over again and listen while I revise. Um, so that I gain a better understanding of myself and the way I'm performing and how I, how I create a poem. Um, and then it's also really cool to do something like this where I go through um, like a manuscript or a collection of poems and talk to myself about them. And then I can make connections between the uh, the poems in the collection. I did that with a, a chapbook that I was working on where I went through um, and talked about every poem that I had written and how it connected to the poem that preceded it and then the poem that came after it. Um, and that was just such a fun exercise. I did that probably for like a couple hours and just recorded myself doing it and listened to it back. And it helped me to... Um, order the poems. So I had them in a, a specific order and then I talked about them to myself and made some changes that made more sense. Um, 
that chapbook eventually became like a full manuscript. Uh-oh. Somebody's moving. Delphine is walking around. I'm trying to figure out what she's up to. Hi, Delphine. I see you. Okay. Back to what I was talking about. Oh, sorry. She's so, she's so cute. <laughs> um, but yes. So talking yourself through poems, talking about your poems with yourself is another really great way of understanding. I'm so distracted by this goddamn tarantula. I just love her so much. She's retreating. I see her little butt moving deeper and deeper into her little hide. Uh, but yes. Um, God, what was I saying? <laughs> um, yeah, just using reading out loud to like hone your craft. Um, I guess the con, the flip side of that is that depending on the kind of person you are, depending on the kind of poet you are, sometimes I've met poets that don't really like revision and they don't like confronting like discrepancies in voice or um, sort of not errors, but like just areas of the poem where things aren't in the light when they should be in the light are things that are like shaded that could be more like that could have more flourish, you know? Sometimes it's hard to confront those things um, and take on even your own criticism because um, it means you have to go back to the drawing board. You have to go back to um, the skeleton and sort of add or subtract and do things, do the really hard work, I think. The revision is the really hard work. I will spend the rest of my life championing, championing revision because I think it's so fucking important. Um, yeah, so I love um, doing that with my poems, that like reading them to myself and recording them and playing them back. But it can reveal some like unsightly parts of the poem and sometimes you just want to finish a work and have it be done. Um, but that's not what we can always do. Sometimes we have to do that deeper work. Um, what else? Yeah, if you want to break into the scene, it's usually the best route is to do the, the Mike Knights that I was talking about earlier. Um, and if you're a person that was like me who like cannot get up in front of a crowd and do something like that, you're like, you got a bad stutter, you have some sort of like social anxiety. Um, I recommend uh, going with like a little group of friends, some people that, you know, aren't going to jeer or like snicker. Um, just like a support system to like shroud you in love and affection and support. It'll be there um, and listen to you and encourage you and applaud for you and things like that. Um, especially at of my night scenes where you have a pretty large swath of like people that are there for different things. So I find that usually while there are poets at open mic nights, 
often people are there to see maybe the comedians or the musicians. Um, people don't know how to really respond to poetry if they're not familiar with it, um, which is really funny to me sometimes of like, if I perform in front of a crowd that doesn't really listen to poetry performed before and they're like, so do we clap now or do we wait until the end or like, are we allowed to like woo or whatever happens during poetry readings or are we supposed to snap? You know, it's just like, a lot of people don't know the etiquette of a poetry reading. And so um, don't be discouraged by people that aren't clapping or people that are just sort of sitting there and look kind of confused. Um, Cause it's more, in the beginning, it's more about you than it is about them. Um, it's about you getting your feet wet um, getting acquainted with the style of performing, getting yourself used to standing and being in front of a crowd, um, things like that. Um, another tip that I have would be uh, don't drink before a performance. Um, you can drink after if you uh, you know want to reward yourself or whatever, but and I mean don't drink alcohol. Drink water, drink plenty of water, um, just so your vocal cords are all lubed up. Yeah, get them all lubed up, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm drinking water right now because my vocal cords are dry from chewing a fucking pack of gum in one day. But yeah, drinking makes you um, it may give you that false sense of confidence that you might need to get on stage, but it could also make you slur your words. It can make you unable to read the words on the page. If you're not reading from a page, it might mess with your memorization. Um, it also dries out your mouth and your throat quite a bit. So it makes it hard to speak, makes it hard to see sometimes. Just take it from me someone that used to drink quite a lot before doing performance um, and just don't. Cause I'm, I was the kind of drinker where like, I would get on stage um, like mildly buzzed. And then like, when I used to drink, I would always have this fear that I would fall. And I would tell myself, well, I can't fall if I'm already on the ground. So I'd want to like lay down. And I would do that at parties a lot but I stopped drinking and um, I'd have that impulse sometimes when I was on stage to like, if I could just like sit on a chair, but there's no chair and I just kind of want to like be on the ground a little bit or be on like the side of the stage. Um, but that is embarrassing and looks kind of weird. So if you can, don't drink. If you must, if you absolutely must have just one just one mild drink to get your nerves sort of out and then save the rest of whatever you're gonna do for later on in the night with your buddies. And make sure nobody drinks and drives, including you. Um, okay, other tips. Um, rehearse, oh my God, practice, 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 practice. Um, this includes, like I was saying, reading, to yourself and recording, um, but practice days before, practice the day of, um, 
just so you know when you're going to pause, when you're going to take breaks, when you're going to like enunciate, when you're going to like pronounce a word in a different fashion so that like the meter and rhythm are on point, stuff like that. Just spend a lot of time rehearsing what you're going to do before you do it. Other mediums do that all the time. So like uh, actors rehearse. Why can't poets rehearse? You should just do it. It feels so much better to have an idea of what you're going to do before you do it. Um, It takes a lot of the pressure off. It eases a lot of the anxiety that goes into performing. Um, That in mind, if you can, this is very hard for me as well. Try not to make changes to the poem the day of. Um, sometimes it happens while you're reading it that you like change a word as you're reading it. But if you can help it, um, make all your changes uh, a couple days before you're reading. Just because sometimes if you practice and practice and practice, and then you uh, change a word or like cut out a stanza, you already like have that muscle memory of like launching into the next thing. And then you get tripped up because you changed it within the last, I don't know, like hour or day before you have this reading. So um, you can stumble on your words, you can mess up, you can lose your place, stuff like that. Um, So if you can, try not to do that before. Um, and lastly, don't be afraid to be funny, to make jokes, to laugh at yourself. Um, don't be afraid to mess up either. Um, sometimes I stumble over words. Um, recently I've been having like troubles with my eyes where like words get very blurry or like my eyes burn and they get really watery. Um, so I like my last reading that I did, I like tripped over a word at some point and I was like, I could have been very mortified by it and wanted to like it off the stage, but I just kept going through it. So if you mess up, just like power through. Um, so like, I'll give you an example. Um, so I got this page with this book in front of me. I'll read something. I don't want to alarm you, but I'm pretty sure there are men living on the surface of your eyes. I can see them parsing pairing up, little umlauts, fighting, maybe, or else dancing. So if you mess up on a word, um, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to like um, feel embarrassed. Just note that you mess up on a word um, and start over. So um, I messed up on the word parting or pairing. So it says pairing, but I read it as parting or something like that. Um, or parsing. So if you read a word and it's wrong, just say the right word and keep going forward. Um, Don't stop if you can help it. Um, Don't make a big deal of it. Just power through. Um, Because if you, uh, if you really dwell on it and feel like, you know, the embarrassment gets you, then it's going to really show to the audience. Sometimes you can get away with like people not even knowing that you've messed up. 
um, or that you stumble over a word or write something wrong, if you um, catch it in your head before and just keep going without any like fanfare. Um, yeah, so those are my tips for breaking into the scene. Um, once you do uh, get in and have been doing open mic nights, sometimes you'll get asked to headline an open mic night. So someone will say to you like, hey, I have these three posts that I wanna read at this event. Um, you're one of them. Um, so we're gonna do the three posts up as like headliners. And then we'll have uh, the rest of the evening open for an open mic night. Um, and that feels so good when that happens. It's like to headline something like that and to be like the opener, I guess even, or not the opener, but like the main event um, just feels really good. It's like such a wonderful experience to have somebody appreciate and admire your work that way. Um, and it can happen for you too, if you want, if that's something that you're interested in. Um, but you gotta do, um, well, I think that you have to do open mic nights, what some people would consider to be like grunt work of, you know, going to, you know, that pizza parlor or going to the coffee shop um, and sometimes bearing through those awkward moments of like messing up, um, watching other people mess up, watching other people read things that you think are good, watching other people read things that you think are bad. Um, and just going through those experiences will be, um, you'll be better for them. I swear to God, I promise. It's gonna be so awesome when you come out on the other side of that and can like do stuff like this for money um, and have people like know your work and come out to see you perform. Um, people that aren't like necessarily your friends or lovers or family members or whatever. Um, yeah, so thank you for listening to this episode. Um, I'll be back in two weeks, remember. Um, I can't wait for the things that I have coming up. So I hope you'll be as excited as I am. Thank you from the bottom of my cold little heart for listening to this episode and for all the episodes before. It's so greatly appreciated. If you like what I do, you can follow me on Instagram at bellbivdaho. That's bell.biv.daho, D-A-H-O-E. You can follow me on Twitter at figwidow. You can read the stuff that I write at Autostrato at autostrato.com and just search Danny Janae. You can find me on Facebook if you're still on there at Danny Janae Poet. Um, yeah, you can follow me on all those things and keep your eyes peeled about things that I'll be talking about in the future. But until then, my dear friends, save spiders and eat fruits. <laughs>